Well, it has been a great four weeks with you, and as I had shared, I've done this theme on the Christian walk. And if uh, you ever see me walking down where I live in the Bremen area, you just think, hey, that's that walk guy. And uh, hopefully you'd think of uh, the Christian walk, that we're all on this journey. And as Kirk said, uh, last Sunday when I was here, I had, uh, as soon as I left, I went over to Lima, Ohio, to uh, bury my father, uh, 91 years old, and uh, in some ways you could say died tragically. In other ways, uh, perhaps it was wonderful. He uh, went out at night to work on some pump in an egress window, fell in, and that's where they found him. And our prayer is that he died suddenly, unexpectedly. But um, that's all uh, a part of the journey of life. Walked through that this past week, and some of you I know prayed that I'd be able to uh, do that funeral. And God was gracious and, for the most part, was able to, um, to hold it together. And I know many of you have been uh, through such things. And at a time like that, uh, the truths that we claim we believe are put to the test. Um, that uh, there will be a reunion. And I, I really don't understand how people walk through this life not knowing about eternity and that they would have a future with their loved ones that know the Lord. And uh, I also received from this church, and it just really was moving to me, a, a planter. Um, and uh, I thought, wow, I've only been here a few weeks. But uh, thank you so much for sending that plant to the house and uh, Thankfully, it's one of those ones that is alive, and hopefully it'll stay alive for a long time. And uh, let me pray, and we'll be concluding this four-week series on walking the walk. Lord Jesus, again, thank you for the four weeks that I had the privilege of sharing the Word of God here at Wawasee Bible Church. And I pray that you would, uh, by your Spirit, really speak to our hearts today as we, we conclude this series and uh, think of the words of Jesus that said, who said, come and follow me. Uh, we pray that we would, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me uh, read you that passage, and uh, actually there's, verse 30 should have been included, but in Matthew chapter 11, the words of Jesus, the Son of God, during his earthly journey, his walk on this earth, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus said, come to me and find rest. You know, uh, I was really glad this morning that I lived east of this church. I just put my car in neutral, and it just uh, made its way all, all the way down Route 6 till I got here. I don't know if I'll get home this afternoon or not, because the wind will be against me. In life right now, do you feel that the wind is at your back, or do you feel that the wind is against you? Do you need any protection? 
You know, there's this great statement in Isaiah 32. It says this, that one day there will be a king of righteousness who will bring about what no other king was ever able to bring about. And then it says this, and it's speaking of a person like journeying through a desert. It, it says that, that he will be like a, a shelter from the wind. He'll protect you from the wind. He'll be like a shelter from the storm. That, that he will be like a large rock that casts a shadow that you can get under for protection. It'd be like a stream in the desert. Years ago, I was, in, I was asked to do a wedding in Champaign, Illinois. And if you've ever driven to Champaign, uh, we went over to Chicago, and then you head south, and it's about 125 miles straight, well, not straight south, but south of Chicago on Route 57, which is an interesting route. It's all farmland. And um, along 57, there's a railroad track the whole way from Chicago to there, and about every 10 miles, you'll see a grain elevator in the distance, and then you make it to that little community, and then to the next one. Well, it was, uh, I looked it up, it was March 9th, and it was blowing like today from a west wind, and it was spitting snow the whole way down. So it was one of those things where you're holding on to your car the whole way, and I got down to Champaign, and they had uh, put, made reservations at a, uh, a hotel there. And I'll never forget, I walked in, I was all windblown and worn out, and this girl was at the desk, and I said, man, is it always this windy here? And she was not trying to be humorous when she said this. She said, well, not when the corn's up. <laughs> it took me a moment to get it, too. What's she and then I thought, that's right. If the corn's up about 10 feet, you're not going to get the wind. It's above you. And if you've ever ridden a bicycle, you know that. Or if you've ran roads, you know, if the corn's up, you get protection. Do you believe that Jesus says, in this life, there's some strong winds. There's some droughts. There's a, the sun will beat down on you. It'll get really rough down here. Now, he doesn't promise us that we won't go through a desert, but what he says is, I will be your protection. I'll be like the corn that's standing, and I will only allow the winds of adversity to strike you that I want to, and it will be for your benefit, for your good, to form character within you. We can trust him as we make our journey. Matthew 11, verse 28 Jesus says, and he's saying today, think this through. This was said 2,000 years ago. But by the Spirit of God, I promise you, you're not here by chance. Jesus is saying this to you now. As though he's in this audience, Jesus is saying to you now, come unto me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, who are having a rough journey down here. Your work is labor. It says in the, the book of Genesis, because of the curse, because of the fall, dominating and subduing the earth, doing our work on earth, would now be filled with pain. 
By the sweat of your brow, you're going to be able to pull it off. In childbirth, give you pain. Raising kids will cause you pain. Sometimes we live in a dry and thirsty land. But Jesus said, you come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You're tired of it. Life is tough. You're worn out. And I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. We're looking for rest, but I will give it to you. Now, it's true that Mike Lindell might give you a pillow that will give you some rest, right? You know, uh, many years ago, I have a friend that was in Chicago. He was a very wealthy man, and he called me up. He said, hey, Craig, he said, they, they built this new hotel right downtown Chicago called the, the Trump Tower. And I'm going to stay there. Would you like to come over and stay with me? I said, yeah. He said, it's supposed to be something else. It was 700 bucks a night. Now, I didn't pay for it. He did. <laughs> I'll never forget. It was nice. You chose the scent of your pillow for the night. When you checked in, they had a whole list. And it, it was weird stuff. They said, if this, if this pillow smells like this, you're going to dream these dreams and all this and that. And, you know, I didn't sleep well that night. <laughs> Craziest thing, you know, sleeping in a $700 hotel and um, all these luxurious things, you know, and uh, still didn't sleep well. Well, I shared last week, Shakespeare, trust me, no torch of the poet's name can fierce the fierce, unutterable pain. He knows who day and night, devoid of rest, carries his own accuser deep in his own breast. Jesus said, I'll give you rest for your soul. Maybe something's eating at you. And then he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, that doesn't sound like a good thing, does it? It sounds like, okay, this is really inviting. All of a sudden, he said, wait a minute, you got you to take up my yoke. What's a yoke? Jesus was a rabbi. Every rabbi had what was called the rabbi's yoke, his expectations, his rules, his regulations. And Jesus really came down hard on those Pharisees because he said, you put this heavy load upon people that they can't carry, and you don't carry it yourself. Why put that load upon them? 613 rules and regulations for life. It was a burden that nobody could carry. And it was called the yoke of the rabbi. And different rabbis had different yokes. There were two famous rabbis at that time, Hillel and Shammai. Shammai was really strict. Hillel was more lenient. And so you would choose which rabbi you wanted to align with. Now, I don't know myself because I'm not from this area, but I understand it's very much that way, say, in the, the Amish community, that whoever your bishop is, he may have certain rules and regulations, but if you live in a different district, there'll be a rabbi that might, or a, a bishop that might be a little more lenient or a little more strict. And uh, I know that that's part of this community here. But it would be the same way in different churches. You go to a different church, there's Maybe some expectations that another church wouldn't have and so forth. Jesus said, you take my yoke upon you. Uh-oh, he has rules and he has regulations. He does. And we want that in life, actually. You know, I read a study once where uh, they had kids on a playground 
And the kids were, were not happy. They were all like scared. And then they put a fence around the playground and the kids were fine. They wanted a boundary. You know, we need that too. You, um, you know, a lot of roads, you're going down the road, you start to drift off the side all of a sudden, it's called a rumble strip of grumblers or sleepers. It's like, get back in or you're going to get hurt. Jesus says, listen, I have some grumbler strips. <laughs> I have some, some sleepers, some wake-up calls. And if you start getting off, you're going to hurt yourself. So I've laid out some rules and regulations, and not 613. In reality, not even 10. Not that he's against the 10, but Jesus said, you have a hard time memorizing 10, I'll give you two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, all the commandments hang. If you operate out of that, you're going to be keeping the big ten, we'll say. Now, you're not going to keep the 613. They had strange rules. Do you know that if your chicken laid an egg on the Sabbath, you broke that egg because that chicken broke the law? Uh... Just all kinds of crazy things to where Jesus said, you can't carry a load like that. But Jesus does have rules and regulations. He created us. He's designed us. He doesn't want us to hurt ourselves. He wants us to have rest. And when we go off and we hear, boy, we're not resting anymore. And that's why our souls at times are not doing well. Can you trust him? For I, in contrast to the Pharisees that you hear about all through Scripture, the legalists, I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. Verse 30 is not in there. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In comparison to all these others that are putting this heavy load upon you to, so that you might try to earn your salvation, we'll say, or just the expectations of God, Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not a, an ogre. I'm not uh, some strict disciplinarian. I, I, I'm gentle. It's not about me, Jesus says. I don't need some following. It's about you. I want you to trust me that if you take my yoke upon you, it's what you put your head in to give direction, that I want the very, very best for you. You know, I'm not positive about this, but I think God, if he had to choose, he'd prefer to be trusted over loved. Because trust is just all through Scripture. I want you to love me. I want you to trust me that I have your welfare in mind. When I tell you to walk a certain path, don't get off of it, you get hurt. Stay on it. It's for your benefit. I'm for you. Listen to Psalm 32, God speaking. I'll instruct you. I'll teach you in the way that you should go, where you should walk, your path. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule, which um, must be curbed with a bit and a bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. God says, listen, 
I, I don't want to have to put a bit and bridle on you like a horse or a mule, or else they won't follow you. You got to jerk them around. Just trust me. You know, Jan and I, uh, we hadn't had a dog for since the kids left home, but uh, last December 9th, I think it was, we, uh, we got a dog. This particular dog had been a uh, Australian, mini Australian shepherd breeder, and the last time only had one pup. So the breeder actually gave us this dog, wonderful dog. The problem was this dog liked to run and um, ran away. It was gone from Christmas till New Year's Day. And then uh, here about three weeks ago tomorrow, uh, some people were watching that dog for us while we were gone and it took off and it's never been seen since. And uh, it was in an area where there are a lot of coyotes. We assumed that Savannah uh, got taken out by some coyotes, uh, had all the information on her collar. And in three weeks, we loved that little dog. But I tell you, that dog was like, unless that, she said, never leave this dog off a leash. This dog will run. That dog, that dog was a runner. And it always wanted to be off the leash. And I thought, you know, that dog uh, got itself in trouble. Uh, when that dog ran, and this gentleman that was watching said the same thing, you would chase it. And it would stop, turn around, and it looked like it was laughing at you. <laughs> and then just took off. And um, brought itself a lot of heartache. And uh, this Thursday, we get a new dog. And uh, I pray it won't be a runner. <laughs> that it'll trust us, that, that we want the very best for that dog. And you know, for the brief time that we've had that dog, this, I, I do believe God talks this way to me, to us. I thought about that and I just said, God, why did that dog run away? Do you know what I think the Spirit of God said to me? Why do you? <laughs> why do, sometimes I have to put you on a leash. Why do you want to run free, make your own choices? Because I don't trust at times that God has my welfare in mind. So I want to choose my own path. I want my, quote, freedom. Only that freedom can get you in a whole lot of trouble. I want to show you here a uh, picture. I'm going to tell you a couple Appalachian Trail stories here, and these are dominant ones. In 2007, much like Josh, I received a sabbatical. What I did on my sabbatical is I hiked the states of Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. This was not my through hike that I did in 2013. I just did, Vermont is 149 miles, uh, 160 miles for New Hampshire, and 281 for Maine. And... Um, when you complete the 149 miles of Vermont, you come to a little town called uh, Norwich, Vermont, and then there's a bridge that over the Connecticut River called Ledyard Bridge, and on the other side, you enter into, actually, Dartmouth College is right there. You go through it on the campus into Hanover, New Hampshire. 
And I had looked forward to that so much, to get to spend that much time, and I thought I'd be having a wonderful time. But as I finished the state of Vermont, I was miserable. It was all by myself. And do you know why? I had a lot of time to think. And do you know what I thought about for 149 miles? It was all the stupid things I had done my whole life. All the things that haunted me that I never had time to think about. Uh, sins, mistakes, people. People I was mad at, I didn't know I was mad at them because I never had enough time to think about it, but I got good and angry at them out there. <laughs> For 149 miles, I was miserable. And I had 160 and then 281 ahead of me, and I thought, I can't go on like this. I'm having the most miserable time of my life. And it was stuff that I knew God had forgiven me for, but I was being haunted by it. Satan was just really having a heyday with me. And I came to the Connecticut River, and over the Connecticut River is a bridge. This bridge here, Ledyard Bridge. And right in the middle, you saw the foot, they have VT, Vermont, slash NH. I stopped, took that picture, I said, God, I'm not carrying this into New Hampshire. All this stuff, I forgive all those people, and I know I've been forgiven for all that. Satan is just accusing me, and uh, that's all, it's all under the blood. And then I thought of this passage of Scripture. Now, you need this too. Let's go here to the passage. Who, this is the book of Micah. Micah, whose very name means, who's God like, starts out and he says, who is a God like you? What's God like? Is God the type of God that'll just haunt you, remind you of all your past, the consequences of your past, or does he forgive? Israel had not been doing well. God says, Why, what have you got against me? What have I done that you rebel against me? You don't trust me. You won't follow me. And then Micah, in the book of Micah, says this. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity? The word iniquity means crookedness. He'll pardon it. Passing over transgressions. That means you walked where you shouldn't go. You know, no trespassing. You did it. Transgression for the remnant of his inheritance, for the people that are truly his. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He doesn't hold a grudge. He just so much wants you to know that his love is steadfast. He will again have compassion on us. Do you believe that about God, that he has compassion? It means emotionally. You, you know what the word actually means? It's, it comes from the word uh, raham, which is uh, the womb. In Hebrew, it means this. He feels for you the same way a mother feels for the infant in her womb. Yeah, mothers, when you don't, they don't realize it, they stand around going like this on their bellies, rubbing their belly. God says, you make me rub my belly. I feel for you the same way a mother feels for the infant in her womb. I have compassion for you. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. 
You know, you can always tell when somebody wants to quit smoking by the way they put out their cigarette. Now, if you enjoy smoking, you put it down, you step on that thing. If you're trying to quit, you shred that thing. You ever, you watch people, they'll just, like, I hate that cigarette, you know? Tread it underfoot. That's exactly what God's saying. I just rip your sins to shreds under my feet. It's also used of a warrior who conquers the enemy and puts his foot on their neck. That's what God's saying. God says, I put my foot on the neck of your sins. I conquer it. And then this one, going back to Ledyard Bridge, and this is the one that spoke to me, and I said it. I said, I didn't know where it was right that minute. I said, God, I'm standing at that bridge. I'm not carrying this on. Somewhere in your Bible, in the Old Testament, it says that you will cast our sins into the depths of the sea, never to be retrieved. Far as east is from the west, another passage says. I stood at that bridge and I just said, God, I cast all that into the Connecticut River to be drowned. And that river represents the blood of Jesus. And I'm going to believe what your Bible says, and I'm not going to go around with all this false guilt anymore. I'm not carrying it because you buried it into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Jacob and Abraham were good guys, but they were made out of the same stuff we are. Abraham lied and said, she's my sister. He was told not to take anybody with him, and he took Lot, and that caused him a lot of trouble. <laughs> but what about Jacob? You know, Jacob is actually my favorite, one of, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I've studied him a lot. He was a rascal. He had what C.S. Lewis says, a hard machine to drive. <laughs> From the very beginning, he's grabbing his brother by the heel, trying to pull his brother back, pull himself ahead. Met his match in Uncle Laban. And then he had a wrestling match with God. And they both won. God won over Jacob. And Jacob actually won the wrestling match, which God wanted, and his name was changed from trickster, deceiver, to Israel, which means he who wrestles with God and wins. That's <laughs> what the word Israel means. He who wrestles with God and prevails. And then many times he's called Israel after that, but this is strange to me. Why in the world, after God changed his name, did he often call him Jacob? Like here, you'll show faithfulness to Jacob. Because if it said, you will show faithfulness to Israel, that's the finished product. I think it's for our benefit that it goes back and says, you show faithfulness to Jacob, who was a hard person to deal with, who kept messing up and learned his lessons the hard way, but finally you conquered him. 
So God says, I, I show steadfast love to people that are not the finished product. People that still limp through life and never quite get there. I love what it says about Jacob, his last line, the last line about him in the Bible. After he blessed his family, it says, then he pulled his legs up into his bed. He didn't need his legs anymore, wasn't going to walk anymore, and breathed his last. Didn't use his lungs anymore. And he was gathered to his people. <laughs> his walk on this earth was finished, and now Jacob was Israel, the completed product. Well, during our earthly journey, our cheese is going to still fall off our cracker at the party of life. We're all going to mess up. But, next slide. Never allow your history to dictate your future. God has an amazing plan for your life. Don't let Satan keep you back there. I heard once where a guy was accused of something he had done in the past, and he said, I distinctly remember forgetting that. <laughs> well, I think that's what God says when you remind him. God says, I distinctly remember forgetting that. Never be a prisoner of your past. It was a learning experience. It's not a life sentence. Well, I'm grateful to say I went on, and I did New Hampshire, and I did Maine, and I was a free Man. If you ever, we read a book from beginning to end. That's the right way to read a book. But we understand a book from end to beginning. I believe that just like Jacob, we can look back at our lives and we look back and it'll make sense. Looking forward, it's all a bunch of question marks. I love this, what about Augustine said. God is able to make everything in your life work together for good, even your sin. You look back and you say, that was wrong. But God used even that to bring about good, to mold my character. Do you believe that? That God has that ability to do that? On the trail, I met some interesting people, and they all didn't make the book, and this one didn't. Up uh, in Connecticut, I came across this guy. He was 40 years old, real good-looking guy, and his name was Chinup. And he took the name Chin Up because uh, you lose your upper body on the trail, and he didn't want to do that. And uh, so he decided he was going to do chin-ups every day. He said that lasted one day. He's too tired to do chin-ups. So he was like let the rest of us uh, that out there. <laughs> you can tell you haven't used your arms when you wave. You wave under here, too. <laughs> your arms just sagging down. That's true of thru-hikers. Uh, you lose your upper body. But I met this guy, Chin Up, and we spent the night at a campfire, and, and he asked uh, what, uh, what I, what, how I put food on the table back home. Well, actually, we were walking the next morning, he asked that, and I said, well, I, uh, I just retired as a minister. And he said, 
I'm really glad I ran into you because I have a question. He said, I, I was raised Catholic, and he said, I was told that if you commit suicide, you go to hell. Do you believe that? Well, I don't have to be too smart to figure this out. So I said to him, I said, uh, well, first of all, I'd like to know why you're asking me that. And he's walking behind me. I said, are you uh, thinking of suicide? He said, I am going to kill myself before I finish this trip. And I said, well, why would you do that? And he said, well, I got divorced just before I left here. My wife left me. He lived in Nova Scotia. And he told me some other things about his upbringing. And he said, I have nothing when I finish this trail to look forward to. So sometime before I finish this trail, I'm going to take my own life. I said, you figured out how you're going to do that? He said, I have. And uh, I'd like to think I was smart enough to think this up, but I was taught this. I said to him, I said, chin up, have you ever read a novel where everything gets all tangled up and you can't imagine that there's any way it could come untangled and, and it end up being a good story? He said, yes. I said, why don't you stick around and see how your story ends up? You know, he did. Then we became Facebook friends. I'd like to say he's come to faith. That isn't true the last I knew. How's your life going? How's your journey? How's your walk? Is it all tangled up? Did you make a mess of it? Man, I'm glad they have new type of fishing poles. You know, those old open face jobbies, I always got those tangled up. And uh, I've done a lot of that in my own life, too. Like Jacob, I cause a whole lot of my own misery in life. Is there anybody that can actually take all the backlash out, make it all make sense? I believe so. Jesus said, come follow me, I'll give you rest. Can you trust him for that? Come to me. Have you come to him? Have you given him your life? And then follow me. The Christian life isn't just come, it's come follow. We begin a journey. God wants a walking companion, a walking partner. Jesus wants a walking partner. To begin a journey with him, you will stumble, you'll fall. He'll get you back up. His steadfast love will keep you going and going and going. And then one day you're going to take your last step, the end of your journey. And I think as you look back at your journey, I can today, I can say, it all makes sense now. And God even turned my sin into good, not that the sin is good. God's able to take even my sins and bring good about through that, because that's the type of God he is. He's, uh, he's powerful. He'll work all things together for good to those who love him and those that are called according to his purpose. We're almost done. I'm going to tell you one more Appalachian Trail story, and then we'll close. This one of the clearest, most powerful gospel presentations I've ever seen in my life. The month of March, if you read the book, it was the snowiest, coldest month of March in 40 years, and uh, we were hiking in three feet of snow most of the time. 
and breaking trail through. And uh, typically, I would not stay in these. About every 10, 12 miles, they have an open three-sided hut with a platform on it that about eight people can lay sleeping bags lined up and sleep in their sleeping bag. It's open face, and out in front of that, a few feet, is a fireplace. And uh, it, was, it was like zero degrees. I've been hiking in this snow all day. Came into this campsite, and there were already several people in their sleeping bags, and there was one gentleman. I never saw this guy. He had his sleeping bag up around him at, like this, and he was laying in there. And there were a couple of others, a, a girl named Little Engine That Could. She's a tough little girl right out of college. And another guy that I never got his name, but I certainly remember him for this. So I get there, and as fast as I can, I'm trying to set up my sleeping bag in there. And there's the guy and the girl out trying to build this fire. And apparently, the guy in the sleeping bag had been using the name Jesus several times before I got there. So anything makes sense. He's in his sleeping bag, and he goes, Jesus, it's cold. And the guy at the fireplace says, you got a beef with Jesus or something? <laughs> and this guy goes, out of that little hole, he goes, what? He goes, you got a beef with Jesus? And this guy goes, after a pause, he goes, no, but I believe he's got a beef with me. And little engine that could turned out to be a very on-fire Christian in front of several other people in their sleeping bags, and this guy at the fire, she goes, oh, sir, sir, it's not true. He died for you. He loves you. He doesn't have a beef with you. Jesus took that upon himself. It was so, I, the guy never said a word. There was like an awe went over that campfire area. Let me ask you, do you think Jesus has got a beef with you? He has cause to, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, like Jacob, we mess up a lot. But he doesn't have a beef with you. He who spared his own, who, he who would not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things good? Can you trust him with your life? Can you trust him with your eternal destination? Can you trust him for the journey in this life for all the steps of life that we take physically and spiritually in the days ahead? You can trust him. He's great and he's good. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, preaching to myself here, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, take and seal it, seal it for your throne above. I pray that each person here allowed the Spirit of God to speak to their hearts today about, God, who you are, your character, about their past and how you can uh, turn even knots Take, you can unravel all the knots of life and turn our lives into a good novel, a good story, a story that gives praise to you. Speak to our hearts, seal whatever decision was made this morning. 
We pray it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen.